Welcome to the Shalom Hartman Institute podcast. I'm Alan Abbey. The Hartman Institute is a center of transformative thinking and teaching. We address the major challenges facing the Jewish people and elevate the quality of Jewish life in Israel and around the world. For details on seminars in Israel and North America, go to hartman.org.il. And now, Daniil Hartman, president of Shalom Hartman Institute. His lecture is titled, Jewish Peoplehood and the Challenge of Identity. Welcome to the Hartman Institute. It's really, uh, it's, it's a celebration when you're here. Um, our hope, um, part of our deepest mission, is to create a Judaism of meaning, a Judaism of depth, a Judaism of seriousness. A Judaism in which we could walk with people who want to give Judaism the time to be, Ju to be a Judaism of depth, meaning, and seriousness. And it takes time. And when you're here, it gives, it, it's a fulfillment of our mission. Because you're not here for a minute. You're not here for an hour and a half. You're here for a week in which we get to delve very deeply into a serious issue and to look at it from different sides and different aspects, to study it, to think about it, to reflect on it, to change our minds on it. And so my task tonight is to describe a little bit the journey that we're going to take together, or that I hope we'll take together. And in the spirit of the Hartman Institute, for those of you who are here for the first time, our task as an institute, our task as teachers, is to open up sources to you, is to walk with you with some instruction. But at the Hartman Institute, we aren't here to be in your place. It's all about you. You are standing today before your God, is what Deuteronomy teaches us. Torah is yours. What Torah you're going to have what philosophy you're going to have, how you think about a certain question. Our goal in this room is not to agree. It's not to agree. In the Hartman Institute, we don't pray together because we don't think Jews should pray together because we disagree with each other. We should all pray in the places which fit our deepest ideology and beliefs. And it just so happens that within Jerusalem, Within 300 yards of this building, there's approximately 6,413 synagogues. <laughs> and everybody should be able to find the synagogue that speaks to their soul. Our souls are different, our halachas are different, our sensibilities are different. But because we can't pray together, it doesn't mean that we can't learn together. And to learn together doesn't mean to agree with each other. It means to agree that we talk to each other. Here, in this Beit Midrash, we're not going to be dealing with the questions of who's in and who's out. Everybody who's here is in. In the Hartman Institute, at least, my, my approach is, is that if it's legal in the state of Israel, you can talk about it here. And because I talk to you, it doesn't mean I agree with you. 
at all. But I could talk with you. And it might even be that I might learn something from you. I might even change my mind. But whether you do or whether you don't is a process which is an internal one. That's your private space in the Hartman Institute. A Beit Midrash is a strange room. It's a room in which everybody as if is sitting together, but everybody is master of their own seat. We don't pray in unison. No one's going to get up and say, okay. No one's going to declare, we will declare pages. No one's going to say, okay, say it this way. Each teacher is going to teach the sources as, the, as they believe from the inner part of their soul and as a part of their intellectual honesty what they believe the sources say. Most teachers will actually share with you complexity of sources. And even if they don't, all they are doing is giving you their read on a tradition which is founded on the principle of these and these is the words, are the words of the living God. Your task during this week together is to ask yourselves, what do you do with this? Where do you take this? And how does this influence your life? And as is every year, we try to ask and pose a question that we think is extremely important for the Jewish people to think about. I hope that one day people will gather and we're going to say, I have nothing to talk about this year. There's nothing important. It was a good year. <laughs> Let's go to the beach. Maybe that, I don't know if I ever want such a day, but I have a fantasy that maybe such a day will happen. But that's not, doesn't seem to be our destiny. Because Jewishness is not simple. What does it mean to be a Jew is not simple. And more significantly, how do we create a Judaism of greater depth? A Judaism which is worthy of ourselves is a very, very important question. A Judaism which is big. A Judaism which says, yeah, that's why I want to continue. That's why, you know, we've been doing this for 3,000 years. Why do I, why now in my, on my watch, this is my little moment in this 3,000 year chain. And I'm here because there's somebody before me who made sure that this was a serious and important tradition. Now on my watch, what, what's the next generation, what are they going to get? What type of people are they going to get? What type of Judaism are they going to get? Are we creating that depth? And so we're always going to have something to say. Because in our tradition, God says, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Holiness. Who is holy in our tradition? Who's the epitome of holiness? Do any of you know? God. What is holiness? Holiness is, the ra is radical otherness. God is holy. One second. I should, our tradition says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy basically means, I want something of you that you're never going to achieve. Ever. You're never going to get there. But because you're never going to get there, it doesn't mean that I change my aspiration. We always want more. And the minute we've achieved our aspirations, there's probably something wrong with your aspirations. Set them higher. And God looks at a slave people who are obnoxious people, mediocre, haven't had an interesting thought in years, miserable, 
And he turns, God turns to them and says, you're going to be a holy nation. And in so doing, God doesn't describe who the Jewish people are. God sets a tone for the Jewish tradition. Beautiful tone. A tone that I find inspiring. A tone that there's always more that we could do. And this year, in that tradition, we're going to try to add for all of us, both your teachers and you alike, to see whether we can add to that tradition of aspiration, of intellectual aspiration, of a yearning to live a deeper, more thoughtful, more meaningful Jewish life. We picked a topic this year which we feel is extremely important. It's important both to who the Jewish people have been, and it's a critical challenge to who we're going to be. Because one of the interesting features about the modern world is that who we were doesn't always say that much about who we're going to be. Something could be in our tradition for 3,000 years, and one of the experiences of the modern Jew or individual in general is you could simply say, no, I don't think so. You don't even have to argue. You could just put it aside. And part of our challenge is to ask, what does it mean to be a part of a tradition and how do you engage a tradition in which some of the pillars of those traditions are being questioned? Is it going to be the same Judaism? Are we going to be the same? Could we continue without some of these pillars? What do we do when we encounter people who are questioning some of these pillars? One of these pillars is this term called peoplehood. Now, if you look in the Bible, there's something very interesting. If you start in the book of Genesis, God turns to Adam and Eve and says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and master. Go forth. Have kids. And what? Have kids. And what? And go and have kids. And what? Rule the world. Have a good life. It's all about Adam and Eve. It's all about Adam and Eve and their children. And that's why the text goes. It talks about the children. And then it comes to Noah. And God says, you know, Adam and those people don't like them. We're going to get rid of them. But you and your kid, go into the, go into the ark. And what? Nothing. There's no tomorrow. Just go into the ark. What are we going to do? Just go. Your job is to get into the ark. And then the third person comes onto the scene in Genesis 12. We have Adam, then we have Noah, and then we have Abraham. And God speaks to Abraham and says, go forth. Go forth from your native land and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And do what? Have kids. Live a life. I'll build you there a garden of Eden. In Genesis 12, the whole biblical narrative shifts, changes dramatically. It's no more. Have a good life. I'll take care of you. The trees will be good. Just listen to me a little bit. That's not what God says to Abraham. God says to Abraham, go forth from your native land, from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. All of a sudden, the whole scene of, our, of the Bible changes. It's not a scene of an individual anymore, even though the individual is still spoke to. All of a sudden, it becomes a story of a particular nation. 
And Abraham is the forefather of that nation. And God says this nation is going to be the critical prism through which I look at the world. And the rest of the book of Genesis, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow, becomes a story of this particular nation, this particular people. With Abraham, and in our tradition, Abraham is the first Jew, God shifts from talking to individuals, and God begins to talk to a people. As if God is saying to Abraham, you're the beginning, but it's not about you. I want much more. What I want is I want a people. And you are the first linchpin in the creation of that people. But from now on, it's a different story. And at this moment, basically from the first moment that our tradition starts talking to Jews, it starts talking to Jews in the context of a people and in the context of a nation. Now our tradition picks up on this. And in numerous places, and we're going to see many of them over the next week, it begins to focus and says that if you want to be Jewish, if you don't connect to this Jewish collective, this Jewish nation, you're probably doing a different religion. Maimonides, for example, has this beautiful text where he says, he says, a person who separates themselves from the community, even though they, do not, even though they don't commit a transgression. This is, this is a Jew who doesn't sin. And I, whenever I read this text, I just believe the person who had the best definition of the individual who doesn't sin was my father. What's the definition of the perfect Jew? He had just, it's just perfect. What's the definition of a perfect Jew? This is a good one. It's the individual who's so kosher, they don't even eat in their own home. <laughs> Isn't that? I think that that's just, my father, it's like, it's, it's many brilliant things. That was like, just hit it home. I can, you could even see it, can't you? It's like, close your eyes for a moment, and you can see the person who is just so worried, they don't even trust their own kashrut. It's like, it's like, on Pesach, by the way, you can see them because they can't eat at home. They have to go to a hotel. Because it's like, it's just, it's like, as if what's happening in the hotel, they don't know. But it's like, it's just, I, I can't keep kosher to that. It's like, it's a, it's a concept. It's like, imagine a person who doesn't sin. It's like, I remember there was this beautiful person. I met, if I comes to my home, you know, I don't eat outside my home. It's like, there's no such thing. There's no, it's like, by definition, it's just, you can't meet my standards. Like, I am, this is the perfect Jew. They drink water all the time. And just, I'll have a cup of water, I'll have a glass, just water. Imagine your mind as someone who doesn't sin. The best kashrut, four pairs of tefillin on their head, tzitzis coming out of their ears. For some of you, if you have such a, you're so predisposed, imagine they might be wearing certain colored clothing. Because very often we believe that certain colored clothing makes you more Jewish. Why black was that color is something that I, I don't understand fully, but we'll leave that at so it may, 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 maybe it had to do with the depressing nature of Jewish history or something. We, res, we, we felt that that, country, that was like a pick-me-up color. I don't know exactly, like, well, I don't know what it was, but maybe, whatever it might be. This is like this perfect Jew. But there's one thing that this Jew doesn't do, Maimani says. They don't sin. But they hold aloof from the congregation. 
That's what they do. And what does that mean? That means that when they do Jewish, they don't do Jewish with the Jewish people. And more than that, when the Jewish people are in pain, they are not in pain. And when the Jewish people are joyful, they're not joyful. And then Maimonides says, do you know this person? He says, but they go their own way as if they were a non-Jew. For Maimonides, when he sees this person with all the tzitzis and all the water drinking and all the colored clothing and all the kippahs and everything and the tefillins and the, the talises and they're just, they're going, you know, they're doing it and he just sees, where's your people? Maimonides says, you look like a non-Jew. You don't look Jewish to me. In our Haggadah, we're told of four children. And we're told of an evil child, as if there is an evil child. But we'll leave that. That, that will, is for a discussion at Seder night. Is there, who are these children? Or is there such a person? But when we had to define what was evil in our tradition, now, it's like, like, think for a moment. One of the things that I want you to do in this journey of our learning together is that when you see a text, don't just read what's there. Ask yourself what else could have been there. And only when you think about what else could have been there could you actually read the text. So how difficult is it to figure out who's an evil person? Oh, a person who kills people. I have a list. Take the Ten Commandments. It's not so hard. Take idolatry. That in our tradition was always a big one. Idolatry, killing, murder. Or if you're a parent, teach your children that to be evil is to be disrespectful. We have a list. Sin is stealing, rape. What, I have a problem finding evil people? Who's the evil person who we encounter at the Seder? The person who says, Ma ha'avodah hazot lachem. What is this worship to you? To you and not to him. And since he has separated himself from the community, and here comes the, the most really radical, fascinating term. I'll say it first in Hebrew. Kafar ba'ikar. He is a heretic. He has denied the essence. Denied the essence. A heretic. Heresy in other traditions is what? If you don't believe a certain tenet of faith, if you don't accept the shahadat in Islam, you're a heretic. If you don't accept Jesus as the intermediary between God and man, or the possibly the divinity of Jesus, whatever it might be, you're a heretic. In our tradition, you're a heretic. You use the word heresy for what? Nothing to do with your belief. You're a heretic because you separated yourself from the Jewish people. This notion of Jewish peoplehood is so central that for Maimonides, if that wasn't part of your Judaism, he didn't think you were Jewish. When our rabbis have to define the evil person, it has nothing to do with faith. It has nothing to do with ritual. It has nothing even to do with immorality. The paradigm of the evil person is someone who says to Jewish people, oh, you're not my people. Now, this is who we have been. We, Judaism, since its inception, has been a collective religion. And now, one of the great challenges of modernity, as I said before, 
is people are beginning to question the centrality of peoplehood to the Jewish story and to our tradition. Someone says, I have a different notion of who's an evil person. No, it's not about celebrating in the midst of the community. It's a different story completely. This notion of peoplehood is being challenged in multiple ways. Many of them we're going to try to deal with together. One challenge to peoplehood are individuals who are saying, I'm looking. Peoplehood means that we share something in common. And since the 19th century, Judaism is that which divides us. It's not what unites us. We're not a people. A people needs something that we hold in common. Something that there's a there there. You want me to be there? I'll go there, but I don't see a there, so why should I be there? I'm not there. Who's there? I don't know who's there. There's not much there. What place, what claim does peoplehood have, or could it have, if it's not filled with content? And individuals are looking at the Jewish people and saying, frankly, I don't see a collective. And in many ways, Zionism was an attempt to solve that. Zionism was an attempt to say, we don't share a Torah, but maybe we could share a land. And this is the notion of we're going to be a nation like all other nations. Here, we're a people. And in their aspirations, all of you who came from outside of Israel weren't going to be coming. Because either you were in Israel a long time ago, or you would disappear. Because Zionism was going to be the meaning of Jewish collective life. Outside, there is no people. There's, no, there's nothing for me to join. One challenge to peoplehood is the challenge of meaning. The second challenge to peoplehood is a challenge in which one of the central difficulties we face is that we as Jews aren't hated enough anymore. Now, it might be that we are hated, and we could be deluding ourselves, but we don't think we're hated that much. We don't feel it as sufficiently. And as a result, one of the things that's happening, the most significant feature of assimilation today is not religious assimilation. It's national assimilation. I feel at home in another place. So Judaism says, there's a Jewish people. They say, I don't know if there's a Jewish people. There's an American people. There's a Canadian people. I'm a Jew, but I'm an American Jew, and that's not a declaration of dual citizenship nor even of dual loyalty. I'm an American Jew. And by that, I don't mean the parallel to an Irish American. I'm like a Christian American or a Muslim American. And one of the great gifts of America in welcoming the Jewish people, and it is a remarkable country, United States and Canada. <laughs> I caught myself. <laughs> um, it's a remarkable continent. There's so many political correctnesses that we have to be careful about today. It's like every time I talk, it's like my mind is like, you know, oops, what did I just step in? But I think, I'll, anyway, I hope I'm getting through. But these are great places for us. The second challenge to peoplehood, the first challenge is the challenge of meaning. The second challenge is the challenge of comfort. The challenge of being at home. And having your peoplehood be replaced by another. And by the way, and we're going to get into this as well, one of the great, one of the challenges with the relationship of world Jewry to Israel 
is if you have another people in your home, what is your connection to this place? Could, is, could Israel be significant if you don't see yourself as a member of the Jewish people? What do I need this for? The third challenge is a challenge which is an integral part of the modern world. And that is we are taught that the individual counts. One of the essential features of liberal democracy is that it's not simply about the rule of the majority, it's about the rule of the majority based on the inalienable rights of the minority. And that the collective is not a place which subsumes the individual, but it, it, gets, it gets its rights and its power as the carrier of and the protector of the rights of the individual. The modern consciousness, we get up in the morning and we don't always look in the context of we. We look in the context of me. And in that context, the tradition which says the wicked person is someone who separates themselves from the community, say, what are you talking about? It's about me. You want me to go to shul? No problem. I want a bar mitzvah. I'll stay there as long as you're giving me a bar mitzvah. The minute the bar mitzvah is over, gone. Except for in some shuls. They're gone. Because what? I wanted, they need, they need it to be bar mitzvah. If you serve me, the collective is in the service of the individual. And as long as it's in the service of the individual, one of the great challenges is, of, is like, is how, do you, how do you build a community in which the individual says, you owe me. Now you could say they're wrong or not wrong, but this is a fundamental feature of the modern consciousness. And so that modern consciousness with its radical individualism, which is also a gift, because it tells the individual to stand up and to demand. And it creates societies which are responsible on levels and on moral heights, which other societies would not. We don't just look at the big picture, we look at small pictures. But still, you know, Arnie Eisen and Stephen Cohen, they speak about the Jew within. It's like it's a different journey, it's me. And so this person, who's now living in a modern consciousness, looks at a tradition which says it's about us, and they say, no, it's not about us. And the last challenge is that the divisiveness of our tradition, the fact that we disagree so essentially about Judaism, doesn't just question the enterprise of peoplehood. It has caused the replacement of peoplehood with what my colleague uh, Yossi Klein-Halevi speaks about, we're functioning as if we're communities and not people. We are creating many peoples based on our denominational or ideological perspectives. And one of the reasons why very often tolerance becomes difficult is that you have an agenda to tolerate somebody who you feel loyal to. Someone who's in your sphere of consciousness. But the minute you create a sub-community, you're an outsider. A plague on all your houses. You're the enemy. And we'll talk about this as well. If we have I, one of the great dangers to Jewish peoplehood is ideological communities. And those ideological communities could pertain to ritual. They could also pertain to politics. 
that can also pertain to Israel. How does this notion of a Jewish religion, which saw itself in the context of a people, walked together for 3,000 years as a people, this is what we did. If you touched one of us, you were touching me. There was no me if, I, if you weren't there with me. If I wasn't obligated to you, if I wasn't happy when you were happy, sad when you were sad, if you were hungry, I would not eat. I, if you were, didn't have a home, I wouldn't go to sleep at night. This is who we were. I thought in collective terms. How do we come to an era in which that principle, which was so self-evident, is being challenged on multiple levels? Now, there was a moment in my life um, where I remember a student once came to me and asked me a question. And I gave him an answer which was very meaningful to me. Um, I don't think he un understood my answer, but I was very touched by it. <laughs> no, and it really shaped my life. It really was. It was like, I've been carrying that answer and it gives me perpetual highs and since. <laughs> really, it was really a unique moment for me. <laughs> I remember a student came to me when I was teaching at the Brandeis Bardeen Institute and they asked me at the opening night, Rabbi Hartman, are you teaching us? Yes. Rabbi Hartman, why should I be Jewish? And they were waiting for an answer. And any answer I would give, they would basically say, ha, that's not an answer. They were just waiting. They were the Russia. <laughs> this was a real Russia. <laughs> this person was there, as many of the students were there, because their parents blackmailed them. Um, very, come, and I'll buy you a car. Come, and you'll have a trip around the world type things. And they came, and it turned, the camp turned them around. But they were Russia. The first few days, they were Russia's. It was not the, Rabbi Harman, why should I be Jewish? And he, the person was waiting for you to say, oh, I'll be Jewish because this way you'll be moral. And he said, only Jews are moral? Like he had all the answers just waiting. And I, he said, Rabbi Harman, why should I be Jewish? And I answered him, I said, there's no reason whatsoever. If, however, you want to be Jewish, I could maybe teach you why it's meaningful and powerful. But the choice you have to make. In the modern world, we don't have arguments which could convince the heretic when it comes to faith in God, to anything. Part of what we've learned is that that domain of certainty which the Middle Ages thought it achieved, we in the modern world know that that's intellectually mediocre. It just doesn't work. Certainty seems to be that which the human condition is not able to achieve. We could have truths, which are ours. Objectivity is something we can't get to. The methodology which we're going to use, now why was this answer so meaningful to me? The methodology that we're going to use together this week is we're not going to be teaching why you have to have community in order to be Jewish. Why whoever rejects the notion of Jewish peoplehood is the Russia. You know, we could talk that, and I'm sure amongst us, you know, we could even, we'll have signs, we'll have inner jokes, we'll feel really good about each other, we'll say number one, we'll laugh, we'll be the insiders and talk about us versus them, and we'll put them down, and all of that will be great, and we'll come out feeling much better about ourselves, but in no way will we have advanced the conversation. Because even though for many of us, and I assume that almost all of us who are here, the notion of Jewish collective life and peoplehood is essential. Even though it is, all of us are also subjected to many of the challenges that I meant. 
many of the challenges of, 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 of ideological communities and lack of tolerance towards others. A Judaism which has to speak to me. Questions about what this, whether I buy into this collective or not. As well as feeling increasingly that I have another people and you know, and when this people is a burden, you know, I just can't be bothered. Like, why be bothered? I'd much rather have a community which doesn't demand so much of me all the time. It's like, it's much, I want it, it's easier. Canada's really a nice place to live. So even we. But assuming even despite that, we agree in general. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be here. But what we need to learn to do is not to say that peoplehood is essential and anybody who doesn't accept it is a heretic or an evil. The only answer which we could give to why peoplehood is to give meaning to, what it, to, what, to the concept. We're not going to talk about, we're not going to prove its essential nature. We're just going to talk about it. What does it mean? What are some of its struggles? What are some of the issues that it pushes us to think about? In our world, peoplehood will be an essential part of the Jewish tradition to the extent that people, individuals, put it on the table and find it, oh, that's a category I want to walk with. Because today, you could be Jewish without believing in God. Today, you could be Jewish without Shabbos. Today, you could be Jewish without almost anything and still be Jewish. You could also be Jewish without peoplehood. And whether I think it's a Russia or a heretic or not is meaningless. There is no authority. And if you think you have authority, all you're doing is talking to yourself. You could either be the judge or you could be a force for good. And to be a force for good is how do we redeem concepts from their mediocrity and infuse them with meaning. And when these concepts have meaning, when I say, yes, what does my peoplehood mean? How does it touch me? How does it shape my life? Someone could look at it and say, ah, I could do that. Yeah, that's, it's like I remember it's when I wanted, when someone wanted to keep kosher once. She says, I can't keep kosher. I said, let's go shopping. So instead of giving her big lectures on kashrut, so let's go shopping. She went to a supermarket. She had, an, she had a wagon and I had a wagon. I say, pick an item. I couldn't find something for ham. But other than that, <laughs> I said, pick an item. It's like when you could see yourself wearing it. And one of the features of wearing it one of, the, one of the tensions or one of the conditions for being able to wear a category is to feel that the category is important. The challenge that we've taken upon ourselves, we, the faculty here, all your teachers, is can we create a compelling and important conversation around peoplehood? For at the end, it is that conversation which will activate choosing the concept. We're not going to prove its significance. We hope to give it depth and importance. And in doing so, I'd like to just review very briefly what journey intellectually we're going to take together. As you all know, and you've all signed up to multiple tracks, we're not going to go into that right now. There are, you will see, there's, there's going to be three sections really to our learning. The first section to our learning will be every morning a joint, all of us together, will we'll join together and hear a lecture about different aspects of peoplehood. Then we're going to divide up into study groups. Some of them are going to be on peoplehood and some are going to be on great books. Then in the evenings, we are going to be looking at some of the challenges that Israel's facing, some of the challenges that the Jewish people are facing. In general, the purpose of our evenings 
is to look at some of the larger questions, not necessarily connected to our theme, in particular connected to the state of Israel. And one of the things that this institute feels very responsible for, we believe that Judaism without a profound relationship to the state of Israel is an impoverished Judaism. People who come here, again, it's not about defending Israel, it's about the same thing. If a conversation about Israel, an engagement with Israel could enrich, then Israel will be more important. And how do we put some of the central challenges of Israel on the table to you? And, and those will be more or less many of the things that we're going to do in the evenings, but we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. Now, what are we going to do? My task today was, uh, what I want to do is I'm going to show you, I'm going to do the mornings, and then we'll go to the evening separately. Tomorrow, in the morning, I'm going to start by looking at two different understandings of what peoplehood means. One is the notion of a community of faith, a community of practice and beliefs, and the other one is a national ethnic notion. What are the core features of Jewish collective life? And we're going to look at two very, very different traditions, two different ways that our, that our tradition understood this concept, and see the tension between those two. That tension is then going to play out in the, get played out in the three sessions, parallel sessions, both in the morning and the afternoon. In the morning, we're going to look at conversion and how do the laws of conversion, the notion of how one joins, how does that, what does that teach us about who we are? Because very often, how one joins is an indication of who you think you're joining or who the tradition thinks you're joining. And what, what notions of this, what is the meaning of, collect, of Jewish collective life that gets played out there? In the afternoon, we're going to look at the tension between two different notions of Jewish collective life, this national ethnic family one and this religious ideological one, and see what happens when they're in tension and what choices do you have to make, or can you make. While we're doing that, the people who are studying the great, in great books um, are, are going to have in the morning I won't talk to you then about great books. What? Thank you. Um, and? Thank you. While you're studying the great books, um, it's one session of Root Kraar two. Two. Tomorrow morning, um, you're going to be studying with a wonderful scholar, Root Kraar Kaniel, who's going to be teaching um, notions of narratives of gender, ritual, and practice, praxis in our tradition. On, on Friday morning, we're going to look at the question of peoplehood and place, land, place. In many ways, that which is personified by Israel, but it's a concept which goes back to our original or early moments of our tradition. Yehuda Kurtzer is going to give a, a lecture looking at the place of place, and in particular, the tension between Israel, holiness of Israel, and diaspora experience. Then you're going to start, the, you know, the, the, the first three are going to be with Avital Hochstein, Rachel Shabbat, Betalachmi, and Michel Sion. On the issue of peoplehood of, and, and space, the teachers are going to be Chaim Seidlerfeller, Bernie Steinberg, and Lauren Birkin. In the first session, they're going to look at different notions of the holiness of, 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 of 
of the centrality of land in our tradition. And we're going to dig deep into it. And we're going to study some of the central sources on the centrality of land. The parallel session is going to be on, the next session on Shabbat, is going to be on what does land mean? What does holy space or important space mean? And in this way, why is it so important? Or why did our tradition so often connect peoplehood with space? We're going to have Shabbat together. Then in the evening, in the afternoon, you know, I'll get to the evenings later, Sunday morning, we're going to turn to Micha Goodman for two days. And Micha Goodman's going to teach us first an analysis of the book of Jonah. And he's going to ask, how does an individual balance their commitment to the Jewish people with their commitment to what they believe God wants of them? And he's going to look at the book of Jonah through that prism. And that tension between Jewish collective responsibility on the one hand and the inner spiritual truth that you carry, how do you, how do you balance those out? In your sessions, we're going to begin to study this issue of the individual and the collective in spiritual life. Looking at questions of, of, of prayer. Looking at how do you balance what you want to say and where you are with what the community requires. And is the community a place where your spiritual life gets unfolded? Or is the personal, individual place a place where, where your spirituality ought to get unfolded? And how do you balance that tension? The next day, Micha is going to look at the issue of peoplehood and practice. And here he's going to look at, focusing on the book of Daniel, he's going to look at different understandings. Again, he's now going to focus on issues of, 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 da uh, of how Daniel prays and how the individual whether they are obliged by a halachic system, whether halacha obligates you in your spiritual journey, or whether your personal religious quest obligates you. And then in your study sessions, we're going to look at to what extent how, is halacha, this, you mentioned this word, halacha, Jewish law, a way of walking. What does that mean? And we're going to look at different notions of halacha. Halacha as a collective enterprise, and what does that mean? And then ways in which the individual can find their place within that collective. And here in particular, we're going to try to constantly look at how does people, what are the, what are the challenges of peoplehood, and how does an individual function within those challenges, whether it comes to spirituality or whether it comes to Jewish law. In the last day, during my class when I'll meet you again, we're going to turn to the question, so is there any core to this? Can we speak about a core of Judaism? If a peoplehood needs something that we share, what could be some of the cores of our tradition, which we could then take home? Parallel to these sessions, as you know, the, the, uh, the great books is going to be a journey through great texts in our tradition. You're going to look at issues of gender, ritual, and praxis. You're going to look about the notion, at the notion of time in our tradition with Ariel Picard. Yishai Rosensvi is going to look at um, notions of, of Yetzer Hara, of evil inclination in our tradition, and ways in which we look at victory narratives and the place of, 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 of homilies of victory and their implications to moral and spiritual life. 
And Menachem Loberbaum is going to study issues of idolatry and truth. And it's going to be a, a great, it's, it's literally great texts. It's not a thematic, it's a journey through great Talmudic, rabbinic, and midrashic texts. And like um, in the spirit of the Institute, you all are going to pick the Beit Midrash in the class that fits the way and the place that you want to learn. In the evenings, we're going to deal with some of the central questions of Israel. Tonight, you're going to have two wonderful people, Tal Becker and Yossi Klein-Halevi, speak to you on how do we think about criticism and how do we deal with this, the issue of Israel and criticism, an issue which is bifurcating the Jewish community. What are the boundaries and how do we think about that? I'm going to pick up that same issue tomorrow night and I'm going to try to ask what's different about the Jewish community today and why is it that we seem to have such difficulty on this question? How do we understand it and what can we do about that? We're going to have a wonderful Friday night dinner together. Yehuda and Tova are going to speak about notions of diversity in the Jewish collective. Um, Tova Hartman and Yehuda Kurtzer on who are the people of the people. Then on, uh, you'll have a free evening. Oh, on Saturday night, we're going to see a wonderful new Israeli film called Herat Shulayim, um, Footnote. And the, uh, the, the director is going to be there for a special. We're going to have a private screening. And there's, the director is going to come and share. It's, it's a wonderful story um, about Jerusalem, about fathers and children, about academia, the neuroses of academia, the neuroses of family. Well, interesting. Um, the, uh, no, but it's, it's a very, it's a, and it won one, I don't, not the best film in Cannes, but it won something very, very special, but I'm not that cultured to remember. Um, it had something very special, and, the, and, the, and the, the director will be there here with you. Then on Monday evening, uh, we're again, we're going to have Tal Becker, uh, who's a fellow here at the Institute and also in the Washington Institute and uh, Alon Ben David, and we're going to be looking at what are some of the implications of September. And how do we understand what's happening in the Palestinian Authority and its relationship to Israel? And what consequences can a potential shift in, in September have? And what could we possibly do about that? And the last evening will be a celebration in which we're going to have an evening with my father, um, in which um, he's going to speak about his latest book entitled The God Who Hates Lies. Um, we're going to have concluding conversations on Wednesday, and then we'll have hopefully a joyful lunch together. That's going to be the journey that we have. Um, uh, I hope you will find this to be a good Beit Midrash. I hope you will find it a Beit Midrash that welcomes you. I hope that you find it a Beit Midrash that challenges you. I hope you find it a Beit Midrash that respects you. Um, and I hope that you help create that Beit Midrash. Your teachers have part of the responsibility. So do you. And the spirit that we're going to create is a spirit that we're going to create together. And so maybe this, may, may, be this, may this be a good week. A good week for all of us and a good week for the Jewish people. And I'm going to run to my nephew's wedding and I look forward to seeing you all tomorrow. Laila Tov. You have been listening to Daniel Hartman, president of Shalom Hartman Institute. Subscribe to this podcast to be notified of more lectures from Shalom Hartman Institute. For information about the Hartman Institute and our courses in North America and Israel, go to hartman.org.il. The Hartman Institute podcast is produced 
by Tony Jason. Music by Kevin McLeod. I'm Alan Abbey. Thank you for listening, and we will see you again next time.